Our second reading today comes to us from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she weeped, she bent over to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. But when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried away him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, I'll admit, the tables arranged in a cross were set this way for Good Friday. And we had uh, black tablecloths on them, and the candles were on them, and we extinguished them one on one as we worked towards the scriptures, towards the crucifix, or crucifixion. And it was kind of a whim. It's something I came up with Friday afternoon, and I got here and, and enlisted some people. Uh, Heather and Don were very gracious in helping me to, to move 
chairs and tables and, and set things up, and a lot of people chipped in. And then I thought, wouldn't it be great if we put white tablecloths on it for Easter morning and put flowers on it? And it would be beautiful, and, and I love it. I know it might take some of you outside of your comfort zone, but the one thing I didn't think of is where am I going to walk? <laughs> I, I, if you saw Hannah before the service, she would just crawl right under it, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, I think it would be very distracting. I'd probably lose my place in, in my sermon. So I'm going to be at the pulpit a little bit more. I'm going to be, uh, I almost wish the, the cross was flipped so I could be preaching from the foot of the cross uh, instead of at the head. But all that's to say that today is Easter. Today is also April Fool's Day. Uh, that sermon almost writes itself. This doesn't happen very often. In fact, the last time that Easter was on April Fool's Day was in 1956. The next time it will be on April Fool's Day will be 2029. And then 2040 after that. And then not again this century. And if you're like me, 2029 and 2040 don't sound like real years yet. It's kind of in denial. And so I thought, April Fool's and Easter. How do I combine those? I thought, I know, I could start telling some jokes. And then I remembered the second Easter I was ever in the pulpit, and I decided to start the Easter sermon with a joke. And I'll be honest— my idea of what is appropriate and a lot of people's idea of what's appropriate don't always match. Luckily, Heather has a much more feel for what is appropriate. So I went to her and I said, I've got this great joke. I want to clear it with you. She goes, yeah, that's fine. It's the only time she's let me down. <laughs> I stood in the pulpit and I told this joke and there was silence. And then a couple of groans. And like two people guffawed. They laughed out loud. And I'm like, those are my people. <laughs> and, I, and I promised never to tell that joke. So I'm like, all right, maybe jokes aren't the way to go. And I thought, well, I could tell some jokes about eggs, but those usually aren't all they're cracked up to be. <laughs> so while I was figuring out what to do, I decided to run to the store last night to pick up the chocolate crosses. And while I was driving home, it was dark, and I felt this boom, boom. And I realized I'd hit something. So I pulled over and I got out. And, and my heart sank into my chest as I saw this little bunny on the side of the road. And then I saw a basket and eggs and candy. And I realized that I had just run over the Easter bunny. And, and, and I looked at him and he was breathing, but he was really badly hurt. And I got down, I was like, stay with me, bunny, stay with me. And I started crying, and I was inconsolable. I'm just, so you see this big guy on the side of the road holding a rabbit, just sobbing and crying. And a car pulled over, and a lady gets out, and she's like, mister, are you okay? I'm like, no, I ran over the Easter bunny. I, I don't think he's going to make it. No kids will get candy or Easter eggs. And she looked at the bunny, and she looked at me. And you can almost see the light bulb go off above her head. So she ran back to the trunk of her car. She opened it. She came back and she sprayed something on the rabbit. And the bunny jumped up and hopped up the road and it gathered its eggs and basket, turned around and waved. And then it hopped some more, turned around and waved. And it hopped some more, turned around and waved and kept doing this until it was out of sight. 
I looked at the lady, I was like, that was amazing. What was that? She said, it's hairspray. <laughs> Look, it says, repairs damage hair and adds permanent <laughs> waves. That's an appropriate joke for Easter. And so I thought about talking about how the resurrection of Jesus is also a joke. Resurrection of Easter Bunny, resurrection of Jesus. Well, there's a bridge. But it's not a joke. Some people say it's a practical joke on the devil or on death. But really, there's nothing funny about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing funny about seeing our Savior crucified, placed in a tomb, and then coming three days later, and he's being gone, his body being gone. There's nothing funny about Mary at the tomb, weeping at the thought of even his body being stolen. So I thought jokes aren't the way to connect April Fool's and Easter. And then I thought, what about Jesus as a jester? And I know some of you have negative imagery of jesters. You think of someone with a funny hat and colorful clothes jumping around and saying something stupid like dilly dilly. And But that's not what jesters really were. If we look at what jesters were in history, they play an important role. Yes, they were often called fools. And yes, sometimes they were perceived as foolish. But they were an important advisor to the king. They would often speak in riddles. But they had a way of speaking power to authority. They had a way of challenging the king in ways that other people couldn't. They had a way of taking things and flipping them upside down. Of taking expectations and subverting them. We see this often in Shakespearean plays. Shakespearean plays are full of fools, of jesters, of people who play that role, but turn out to be the wisest person above all. You have Puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream. You have the aptly named The Fool in King Lear. You have Feste in Twelfth Night. If you go through all of Shakespearean's plays, half of them have someone who plays this role. Someone who speaks in riddles, who acts a little foolish, but is the wisest person, who challenges authority, and who takes things and flips them upside down and gives us a new way of seeing them. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus, you see that he lived out this rule. That he embodied this rule. He often spoke in what seemed like riddles. How many times do the disciples, his closely, closest followers, have no idea what he's trying to say as he speaks in parables or uses comparisons and it goes right over their head? He often speaks power to authority and challenges authority. That is what led to Good Friday and Easter. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the temple officials were uncomfortable with what he was teaching. They were uncomfortable that he was challenging their religious authority and he was threatening their power. There's no doubt that Jesus was wise. And he definitely takes our expectations and he subverts them. 
Think of these phrases. Good Samaritan. Blessed are the poor. Love your enemy. Foolish wisdom. The meek shall inherit the earth. A king who washes feet. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. To be great, you must become servant of all. And on Friday, as he was on the cross, he added crucified Savior. As the two thieves on either side of him, as one of them said, Lord, I would like to dwell in paradise with you. He added saved sinner. Contradictions. Expectations flipped on their end, subverted. Things we don't expect, but speaking power to authority and speaking wisdom. So it should be no surprise that today he does it again. Today, the beloved disciple and Peter go running to the tomb. The beloved disciple gets there first, looks in and sees that Jesus isn't there. Then Peter also goes in and they see the linens and the clothes. It says the beloved disciple believed and they left. But Mary stood there weeping because Christ's body was gone. And she sees a man who she thinks is the gardener. And she says, sir, if you've taken his body, I'm not going to turn you in. I'm not going to do anything for you. Just tell me so I could treat him with the love and respect he deserves. Just tell me where you've placed it so I can go and get it. And he says to her, Mary. He speaks her name. And there's power in that name. And she sees that it's Jesus. She sees for her own eyes that Jesus is risen. We see that the tomb is empty. We see the grave cloths cast aside. But now she sees the risen Christ himself. And Jesus the jester does it again. Risen dead. Or better yet, stingless death. Those are two words we wouldn't usually put together. Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus took it away. When Jesus rose from the dead, he took away the power of sin and death. Death has lost its sting. Because death has no power over Christ. Because death could not contain him. In that tomb. I think the Gospel of John is fascinating because it talks about the beloved disciple. The beloved disciple, the disciple who Jesus loved, who was at the cross with Jesus' mother, who Jesus said, Take care of my mother. She is your mother now. The beloved disciple who raced with Peter to the tomb and beat him there. The beloved disciple who believed and went back. 
And for years, scholars and theologians thought the beloved disciple was John. Because John wrote the gospel, John is going to fluff himself up. I'm the one Jesus loved. I'm the one that Jesus wanted to take care of his mom. I'm the one that beat Peter in a foot race to the tomb. But recent scholarship has started to debate that. One popular alternative has been Lazarus, the one who Jesus rose from the dead. After all, it says earlier that Jesus loved Lazarus. And it makes sense that when Lazarus got to the tomb, he would be hesitant to go into it. After all, he'd recently had kind of a bad experience in a tomb. Jesus speaks Mary. And we know that names are powerful, so it's fascinating that the beloved disciple is not named. And I think that's on purpose. Because do you know who I think the beloved disciple is? I don't think it's John. I don't think it's Lazarus. I think it's you. And you. And you. It's each of you. It's me. We are the disciple that Jesus loved. We are the disciple that Jesus charged with caring for his mother, with caring for widows, orphans, people on the outskirts of the society. We are the ones who ran to the tomb and glanced in, but were a little afraid to go in. We were the ones that once we saw what was going on, without having seen the resurrected Christ, believed that Christ has been risen. You believe it. I believe it. That is why we are here today. We are here because of the risen Jesus, Jesus the jester who played a prank, who subverts expectations, who speaks wisdom, who's the risen dead, who took away the sting from death. You are the beloved disciple. You are the disciple who Jesus loved. He loved you from the cross. He loves you at the tomb where he is risen. If Jesus is a jester, if Jesus takes our expectations and subverts them, I want to end by asking you, what do you do with that? If you are the beloved disciple. How has Jesus taken your expectations and subverted them? How has Jesus spoken truth to power in your life? What wisdom has Jesus imparted onto you? How has Jesus taken your life and flipped it upside down? How has Jesus changed everything? Because that's what Easter is all about. Jesus changing everything. Jesus taking the sting away from death. Jesus being the risen dead, the resurrected dead. Jesus claiming that death and sin have no power over us. Because Jesus loves us. Because you 
are the beloved disciple. Amen.